PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is frequently in the news in the context of soldiers returning from the Iraqi war. Yet civilians are the most common sufferers of this disorder. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is nationally known expert, Dr. Jeffrey Berlant. Dr. Berlant is double-boarded in internal medicine and psychiatry, and he has been very active in discovering new treatments for PTSD. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today, Leslie. Dr. Berlant, you've been studying PTSD now for years. Please tell us a bit about how you became interested. I actually got into this backwards. In the course of treating a patient who had treatment-resistant insomnia, I was unable to get any kind of response with her despite trying many classes of medication. Out of desperation, I used a, at that time, recently introduced medication called Topamax, an anticonvulsant, that was supposed to induce uh, somnolence in 30% of people. When she came back, though, she said that from the very first dose, which was a very small dose, she slept through the night like a baby. And when I asked her why, she said, because I stopped dreaming about my rape. This was the first time that I had learned that she'd been traumatized or that she had given any indication that she had PTSD. With this thought in mind, I started looking at other patients in my practice, and I was floored to find how many patients had PTSD, including a number of patients where I had missed that diagnosis for up to 10 years of treatment. So Jeff, how common is PTSD? PTSD is very common. In the population in general, approximately 9% of adults will have had PTSD during their lifetime. With women, it's about 12% of them, and with men, it's around 6%. When you talk about a clinical practice, however, it turns out that there are figures as high as almost 50%, and in certain clinical populations, prevalence rates that begin to approach 70 and 80% of patients often not presenting explicitly with concerns about PTSD. Wow. So we really need to be on the lookout for this. That is absolutely correct. It is one of these conditions where the patients have an illness that they don't recognize as a brain-based illness. And we, as clinicians, often do not look for it, I think in part because we don't know how to treat it easily, at least we haven't in years past, and so we tend not to look for conditions that we feel that we do not know how to treat. Well, Jeff, I know when I was in training, my uh, military-based uh, professor in psychiatry told me that all patients with PTSD have personality disorders to start with. What do you think about that? I think that that's now been shown to be incorrect. There's well-documented evidence now that PTSD is a brain-based disorder. And I think if you mention one of the factors, it's made it difficult for clinicians to think about PTSD and identify it. And that's been the historical association of PTSD with combat populations. For political reasons and historical reasons, PTSD became very salient in the public consciousness around the Vietnam War. And the association with that has carried over. In reality, if we look at the actual numbers of people who are affected by PTSD, combat veterans, although as a group suffer a high percentage, in the whole population of the United States, they're but a fragment of the problem. For instance, it's been estimated somewhere on the order of 75,000 males who were Vietnam veterans have had PTSD, whereas it's estimated almost 2 million women 
have had PTSD because of physical assault, another 2 million because of sexual assault, and another almost 2 million adolescents who have had exposures to violence, either being the target of violence or having witnessed it. So trauma is really defined quite broadly in this case. Trauma has to do with what are considered either direct threats of loss of life, so death, bodily injury, or violation of major body boundaries, such as a uh, sexual assault or unwanted sexuality. So, you know, again, went back in the dark ages when I was trained, um, the definition of trauma for post-traumatic stress disorder was some heroic, you know, unimaginable trauma, like being kidnapped for weeks or something like that. It sounds like the, the definition has broadened quite a bit. That's right. It was a recognition that extraordinary events actually are ordinary, commonplace. For instance, the most common traumas that we see with PTSD are serious physical attacks or assaults, rapes, sexual abuse, exposure to death or homicide or serious injury, life-threatening illnesses, life-threatening accidents, threats with a weapon, fires, floods, natural disasters. But the most common trauma is unexpected death of someone close to the patient. So is there a difference in how this manifests between civilian and military PTSD? The greatest difference between the two is probably, in the case of military PTSD, there is the problem of perpetrator guilt, of having subjected others to trauma and feeling the guilt and shame that can follow those events. It is more common in civilian PTSD to be the one who has been offended rather than the transgressor. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So how do you diagnose PTSD? First of all, I have a high index of suspicion of patients who come in with depression and anxiety that they may very well have occult PTSD. In the course of interviewing them, I routinely ask them if they have intrusive, unwanted thoughts about bad things that have happened to them that leave them feeling distressed, especially things of a traumatic nature. I also ask about whether they tend to startle easily, since startling is one of the key symptoms of hyperarousal in PTSD. And I also ask them if they're troubled by nightmares, and if they do, I go on to ask if the content of the nightmare refers back to something real that has either happened to them or that they've been exposed to in the past. How well do psychiatrists do at actually picking up PTSD? There are three studies that have been done looking at either medical or psychiatric settings, asking how well they do. And there's a remarkable convergence in all three of these studies. The methodology in these studies was the same, to take patients who had been selected either for referral to a psychiatrist, say in an HMO practice, then were subjected to a structured interview looking specifically for PTSD. In these patients who were referred for anxiety or depression, it was found that approximately 39% had been uh, actually uh, carrying PTSD. Of these folks, on the referrals, none identified PTSD. In a community mental health center in New Hampshire and Baltimore, Maryland, similarly, about 42% of patients who were seriously mentally ill were found to have PTSD, and on chart review, only 2% had documentation of that diagnosis in the chart. And the third study was in an academic center where of a university famed for its studies in PTSD. In this academic inpatient mood disorder unit, 
approximately 40% of patients had PTSD, and despite the intensive look of medical students, residents, faculty members, only 2% had a diagnosis of PTSD documented in the chart. Jeff, so what you're saying is we do a terrible job at diagnosing PTSD. That's right. From a larger perspective, the published literature is that many more patients have PTSD in our practice than we know. And it's been a, a collusion of silence. The patients don't want to talk about it, and we don't seem to want to ask about it. What clinical populations, now thinking as a primary practitioner, um, what clinical populations should they even think about PTSD in? It should be in patients who seem to have symptoms of depression, anxiety, who seem to be having trouble uh, establishing a good therapeutic alliance because they seem to be wary and guarded and having difficulty being able to trust the provider. The other population to be very aware of is that uh, young women who otherwise have rather unremarkable lives, say a 27-year-old woman who has uh, children, is probably the most common patient that they will find PTSD in. So certainly our ob should be on alert for this. They should be. There are other populations that have been found to have high occurrence of PTSD. For instance, irritable bowel syndrome. Studies suggest about uh, 36% of patients have PTSD. In cardiology, there are studies that find that six months after having an acute myocardial infarction, about 20% of patients have PTSD. Even more tellingly, when these patients were treated with aspirin prophylaxis and followed up uh, systematically in the following year, it was found that after the next six months, that is one year from the MI, patients who had had PTSD became non-adherent with aspirin prophylaxis and in fact had higher rates, double the rate, of hospital readmission because of uh, severe and major cardiovascular events, including MI, sudden death, et cetera. So it makes a difference if we do miss PTSD in our patients. It really seems to. It may not be well known, but approximately 40%, even 50% of patients who have PTSD have a secondary depression. They may present with symptoms that everyone at this point easily recognizes as depression, but it does not necessarily respond to antidepressants as easily or as well as depression itself does. Now, Dr. Berlant, you started off your medical career as an internist. Let's talk for a minute about how non-psychiatrists can incorporate what you've been discussing about PTSD into their practices. I think in the course of evaluating patients, it would be very simple to ask about problems such as difficulty sleeping. One of the characteristic sleep difficulties that people with PTSD have is that they're often afraid to go to sleep. They're either afraid of having nightmares related to their trauma or they're afraid that they will drop their vigilance and not be able to protect themselves. So difficulties in sleep is a very easy way to get into these problems. Now, many physicians and psychiatrists even don't want to hear about the details, the nitty-gritty about their traumas. Um, is it possible to diagnose PTSD successfully and, and not really get into whatever caused it? Yes, it is, at least to some extent. I often will tell patients when I'm just getting to know them and they have shared that they've had a traumatic exposure that they don't have to tell me about all the details about it. They don't have to be brought to a point where they're reliving the trauma. 
they can start with very general descriptions, even something like child abuse during childhood. That's good enough for a start. The symptoms of PTSD do not, beyond that general classification, require a patient's going back and reliving those experiences. The problem with interviewing to that level of depth is it can re-trigger active PTSD reactions in patients. It's like a scripted uh, rehearsal of the trauma itself if it's allowed to go on too far. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Berlant. We've been discussing how to diagnose post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.